Hello, hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Believe in Overwatch League podcast. No new episode this week. Kevin and I are taking a break, but we will be back next week with a new episode. But since today is the last day of Pride, we thought it would be fun to republish the art, uh, the interview that we did last year with the Watchpoint Pride folks, Oak and Nika. I really enjoyed this episode. I think it is one of the favorite episodes that I've done in recent history or interviews that I've done in recent history. Um, if you've heard it before, it's a great episode to revisit. If you haven't heard it, um, I hope you enjoy listening to this interview for the first time and happy pride to everybody this month and year round. Take a listen. Hello everybody, we are Matt and Kevin and welcome to Season 3 of the Believe Overwatch League podcast from the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Please, like, rate, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us on all social media at Believe in OWL and at Believe.com. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of the Believe in Overwatch League podcast. Um, This is an episode that I was really excited to do um, because it is Pride Month. I do have a lot of friends who are part of the LGBTQ plus community, and I figured, you know what? Why don't we just try to do something special? And then, as many of you saw during the May Melee, there was this spotlight on this awesome community called Watchpoint Pride, and I thought, you know what? Let's see if they respond to me, if I send them a message on Twitter. I don't know if they will, but they did. So now we have uh, Oak and Nika on to talk about Watchpoint Pride with us. Hooray. So what is your guys' like a basic intro to who you guys are? Like, what is your background? Um, What are your gamer tags? Like, what other things do you like to do besides Overwatch? Just like a general picture of, of the nice little packages that are Oak and Nika. And Nico, I'm throwing you under that bus first. <laughs> you always do. <laughs> I like just get you out in front of me. It, it's less pressure because I don't have to live up to what you say. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, hello, I'm Nika, and I am one of the directors at Watch My Bride. I'm from Scotland. Um, my gamer tag's Nika Todd. You'll find me under that on most social media as well. Um, I have been playing Overwatch just about since release. Um, I'm also involved with Hangar 9, who's the London Spitfire Fan Association. And outside of Overwatch, I just, I like cosplaying, playing other games and all of that good stuff. <laughs> all that good stuff, awesome. And hi everyone, my name is Oak and I am the other director at Watchpoint Pride. Uh, you'll find me on most social media as The Oaken Forest um, because people took Oak from me and I, I can't get it back. Um, Outside of Overwatch, I'm actually a teacher of the deaf, so I teach deaf children who are staying in hospital, um, and that's kind of my MO. Um, On the side, I'm also head of community at London Spitfire. I head up uh, the official Spitfire Fan Association, Hangar 9, Um, and when I'm not doing my actual job, the Spitfire stuff or the Hangar 9 stuff, I'm also director at Watchpoint Pride, so I'm just like really busy with Google Docs all the time. So did you guys if did you guys meet before Hangar 9 or is that how you guys met or how did you 
to come into contact with each other. I mean, we've never actually physically met, although patent pending soon, (laughs) very, very soon. Um, I think because we were both involved in like London Spitfire, like just fans in general on social media, I think we connected up through through Hangar 9 when that started in 2019, which is like the the official mm-hmm. fan club of Spitfire and doing the viewing parties and stuff. And I remember seeing Nika's like amazing Tracer cosplay, which is iconic. And uh, I was like, oh, you know, this would be amazing like, to have like a cosplay group within Hangar 9 for the homestands, RIP. Um, and that's kind of how it went from there. We just, we meshed together really, really well and made many Google Docs together. Yeah. <laughs> Just started started with a tweet and here we are with our 10th google folder <laughs> oh my goodness that's how you know it's a successful group is the number of google docs folders you have. um yeah not counting the folders in the folders <laughs> yeah there you go um yeah i come from the other side i'm from um i'm from the san francisco bay area so i am like weaved into the the shockwaves which is also their fan group yeah um but it's always really cool to like meet other fan groups and what they're doing and then um you know just snowball and become an even bigger community so how did hangar nine start uh hey, drunkenly <laughs> started really quite drunkenly if we're honest um so... whiskey <laughs> my ability to to ply members of cloud nine with alcohol is uh, <laughs> impressive um so i had i mean i'm based in london so i'm quite lucky so when uh the inaugural season of overwatch league started up london spitfire held uh, like live viewing parties at some gaming bars here in london and i think i went to every single one except for one where i was quite poorly um and that was a really really great experience and going there kind of every weekend because back then games were like you know two or three weekends like in a row on the chart you'd have your, your team playing you got to kind of know everyone and kind of the locals and the local kind of in-person crowd kind of came together um and like any good sith lord i just kind of brought everyone together under like a, a banner of sort of like hey why don't we try and do all this kind of stuff together and took this pitch to to Cloud9, who were organising on coming to London on the back of London Spitfire's inaugural season win. Um, and they'd loved the idea uh, and kind of got looped into some email chains from there and sat down with Susie Kim, who was the then general manager of Spitfire, in the bar that we gathered in to watch the games. Um bought her a couple of whiskeys and had a couple of pints myself and was like, I got this like really good idea of like a fan club. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in and amongst the players wandering around drunkenly and pouring pints, it was uh, pulling pints even, not pouring them. They were pretty sober, mostly. <laughs> um, Hang and I kind of came together and by the beginning of 2019, we were ready and we picked up because toasting the viewing parties ourselves. Kevin, you want to take the uh, the next couple of questions? Yeah, uh, I can read sometimes. Um, It's <laughs> <laughs> selective time. Yeah, it, it's like, uh, is it is it scrolling fast? Is it at the bottom of the screen? And uh, how fast can my brain handle this? Um, oh, wait. Um, so, yeah, what got you into Overwatch and the League at, you know, at first? Um, and what is your favorite aspect of the game? And what keeps bringing you back in? 
what got me into Overwatch? Uh, one of my friends sent me the video for the sort of announcement of the game back before it was out. And I was just really into sort of the animation and the art style and everything. And then it game came out and I didn't buy it. So a few months after that, I was like, oh yeah, that, that was a thing. Let's let's buy it and try it out on a free weekend or something on the Xbox. And ever since then, that it's been basically the only game I've played for the last five years or however long it's been. So yeah, it just everything about like the world, the characters, the art style, and obviously the gameplay is pretty good as well. Just kind of drew me into it and kept me there. <laughs> And you're a junk rat main, right? Yes. Nice. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I like the fact that I don't really need to try to aim, but if I do aim well, it works out better for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a different kind of aiming. You're zoning people off. Exactly. It's it's chaotic, and I think I can get behind that <laughs> as a character type. I'm quite ordered, and I cannot get behind that. <laughs> <laughs> I find that game very distressing to deal with. Which is why um, we don't play together, Red. Which is why we don't play together. I'm just like, everyone has a place and a time. <laughs> and then I'm like, Junkrat works for everything. It's fine. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. New support main, Junkrat. Um, <laughs> so for me, it was uh, a bit similar. Like, I, I was a very big kind of like Blizzard's other words, like a very big World of Warcraft fan. Um, uh, but not a big fan of shooters. Like, I mean, I can't aim. Like, that's why I play World of Warcraft. Um, but I was always like a priest or a paladin or a druid, like something that could heal. Like I would love playing healers in RPGs, like anything in like Dragon Age or Borders Gate or anything, like any ability to kind of heal or do magic. I was like, yeah, I can, you know, I'm a wizard, mom. Um, and then I saw the trailer for Overwatch and I was like, meh, like it's this guys with guns. And then I saw this cup of mercy and I was like, she's got a stick. Uh, <laughs> and she can fly. And she doesn't have to be shooting anyone. And... I was like, I was genuinely really intrigued. Um, and so I kind of did a bit of reading, uh, went onto the, you know, the website and looked at the, the characters and stuff. And I was really, really intrigued by this idea that in a shooter game, you had uh, traditional RPG elements of like tank, DPS and healer. I felt like I was doing like a tabletop Dungeons and Dragons session all of a sudden, except live um, with a German guy with a big shield, which fulfilled many a fantasy. Um, <laughs> And so I kind of got on board from it purely from I like to play healers and I really love healing in games. And, you know, until this day, I have an absolutely atrocious DPS rank. I can't even spell DPS, I, I think. Um, but my support rank is is my most respectable and I just love playing support. So that's kind of how I got into it. And yeah, it's been like five glorious <laughs> mixed years of competitive ladder, but great fun. <laughs> Moving on from just the game itself, I want to talk about the esports scene in general. So, what is the esports scene like um, in Europe? I know that um, in other games they they are powerhouses, especially in like Dota and other games that are outside of there. Um, but what is the scene like? Is there still is it leaning more towards like the Korean culture where there's like um, you know like gaming houses and stuff like that that people are constantly training in, or is it more like the U.S. where it's just like you, you train on your own time. We just call you in and uh, we see how it goes from there. Hmm. It's it's a tricky one, I think, because it doesn't have the direction that the other two systems have. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at kind of the Korean model and the, and the American model of doing things. And 
both require a certain level of infrastructure to be in place to enable both of those systems to work, which is usually some kind of tournament scene. Mm -hmm. And in Europe, that's the most underdeveloped aspect, I think, of esports. Tournaments do exist. Tournaments do happen. But there isn't like, there isn't like a path to pro necessarily um, for respective leagues and just, you know, to be in esports in general. Um, interestingly, there's more support coming from the top down than there is going from the bottom up at the moment. So you mm. see a lot of universities now doing like MA in esports, for example. So you see it kind of filtering down from the top. So people are getting ideas of wanting to put in place like established structures and mechanisms and systems. And so the impetus is there. I think a lot of the inspiration is definitely more coming from career in terms of wanting to have like academy teams and wanting to have, if not players together, like in a house and, and really focused on it, having at least the system of, you know, like a training ground, a place you go to practice regularly. Um, I know quite a few football stadiums are now looking at, at diversifying their portfolio of suites to include esports because the stadiums are not used 95% of the time. Um, I think Twickenham in London, for example, is one example with XL esports having like a training center inside of the football stadium, which is, I think, a really intriguing initiative to, to hybridize traditional sports and esports together. But the tournament scene's got to be there as well because you've got to have a mechanism by which to make a name for yourself and to have a profile. Your your online profile, your SR and that kind of rankings is great, but also you need a name for yourself kind of on the scene as it were. And I think that's the bit that's a little bit lacking. I think when that gets there with all the bits filtering down from the top from like universities and industry and what have you, then I, I think, I hope, it will kind of join nicely in the middle and flesh out the whole system. But mm. it's definitely still needing pioneers. I think there's definitely a dearth of entrepreneurship in the european scene of people mm. taking charge and setting course yeah there definitely seems to be a lot of sort of small tournaments for kind of lower ranks but not a huge amount of things for kind of more pro level play uh, other than sort of the talk from kind of more the management side of what kind of arenas are we going to use there's talk of building an entire um sort of esports academy in Dundee in Scotland so it'll be interesting to see if that actually comes to anything and what sort of opportunities that'll bring forward because I think it will be linked into sort of like the games development parts of the university and things like that so I think while the scene isn't maybe as big as it could be it's kind of getting there in terms of what it needs to start being bigger yeah. what about like fan engagement wise on that it's a lot looser in some respects. I think the way you see fans organized, for example, with the Korean matches, they do a really good job of embedding the almost like a cult-like mentality. You know, you buy into the image, the brand, the team, but you also follow principally key players. Individual players are themselves stars. And then teams have notoriety by the people they launch, you know, up into stardom. Um I think it's currently less organized and that's even from like a, from you know seeing what we do is like with hangar nine and stuff it's more about people connecting online but also the kind of physical space the kind of the, the the viewing party aspect i think is part of the pop culture in a way that you have like at least within the uk and within most european countries the idea of kind of going to a bar and watching a game um 
is slightly different from how it is in the US. You see things in the US and people are in bars and they are like really going for it. I think mm. the culture is slightly different in most European countries where it's more a lot of your mates are together, you're having pints and you really are cheering on. But the dynamic somehow feels more uh, social and mixing with lots of other people as opposed to just focusing on what's happening on the screen. It's much more of like an embedded social dynamic. Um, and I think esports in Europe needs to capitalize on that drinking culture uh, to be really successful. And I think you see lots of kind of esports bars kind of up and coming across Europe. Like, you know, we go to one here in London, uh, Platform Bar, which, you know, have PCs set up for tournament style 5v5 stuff. Thank God Overwatch made those changes. <laughs> um, it's really hard bolting on another PC when there's only literally room for five. Yeah. Um, so you see a lot of investment going in there and a lot of uh, people wanting to do like arenas and, and building with like pubs and bars and stuff. So I'm hoping that all comes together too because I think when people start being able to go back out, um, they definitely will want to be. The next question moving on is like from fan engagement is um, how did you guys get into content creation in general? Was it just, um, oh, I like what they're doing. Let's just try that out. Or did you have something else in mind when you were starting up? Um, so I, I went to art school, so I've always been into like making things and um making things about the things I love kind of lends itself really well to Overwatch because it's been such a big part of my life for so long. Um, so I guess kind of just bringing those two sorts of things together, like cosplay is really the main thing that I tend to do content creation wise. And I just kind of love the sort of the challenge of um, bringing the character to life in a way that's recognizable as who they are in game or in the animations but also realistic and like makes sense in a real world sort of application and um like this is it's something i've done for many years not just since overwatch started so it kind of just made sense to bring those two things together especially with how much i love the character design um for all the characters uh for me with overwatch at least it started um with sign language so i'm i'm hard of hearing and i use british sign language as my second language and my housemate is profoundly deaf uh first language bsl user british sign language user and so talking about overwatch we had to develop a lexicon of signs for heroes teams maps etc because the words didn't exist in sign language uh they were purely oral english constructs and so in developing this vocabulary, it's part of like the conversations we're having about the game. I, I started putting out some kind of videos on YouTube showing the signs that we were using for the heroes for other BSL users here in the UK to, to use. So we had a shared language. And so that kind of got me a little bit on the radar, especially some of the Overwatch League teams, because I did the BSL sign names for the teams. Um, and I've always massively been into like story and lore with anything. Like my, my degrees in games design, story development. Um, and so like, world of warcraft story like diving deep into the law of like characters and, and factions and politics and regions and you know even looking at the biomes that exist within certain areas and the species that you find that like, i find all these things fascinating and so the idea of doing like an overwatch law channel really appealed to me and so i set up um watchpoint oak the overwatch archive knowledge base which just happens to also be my name <laughs> 
Um, and that was about just putting together like Overwatch lore videos, like deep dives into the comics and stuff, and you know, sharing facts and, and interesting things. Uh, and then kind of both of these things, along with like the work with Hang and I in London Spitfire, along with Nika, kind of amalgamated into, you know, we're both queer people. Um, why isn't there like a an Overwatch LGBTQ plus content creators network where we can um not just toot each other's horns, like I mean I like doing that as well, but more how can we be constructive? Like how can we get better at our crafts? Because that's what it is, like content creation is a craft. And there are loads of professional networks out there in the world. Like, you know, my job as a teacher, there are teaching professional networks that you go to to become better at teaching. Um, and it's the same like in any in any industry. And so I thought, cool, we need we need more for LGBTQ plus overall content creators. And here we are. <laughs> Ta-da. <laughs> Um, just a quick question for uh, Nika. What did you major in? Um, was it costume design or was it something else? Um, so I spent a lot of time kind of trying to figure out exactly what part of the arts I wanted to go into. And mm -hmm. eventually I settled on contemporary arts because that kind of it allows for a bit of everything. Mm. So um, I didn't really pick one specific um, practice to go into. I I went for sort of like just doing a bit of everything and kind of developing my skills in, in all of the subjects I could because I felt like that was the best way I could apply it to the real life. Mm. And it, I think it worked out quite well for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was a one trick. I went straight into a uh, film. And mm. from from my film like career, I stumbled into esports once I started getting into sports casting and commentary. Um, and then, yeah, that's why I'm here with Matt. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, we have this. We have this podcast. I'm here because I applied on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> they found me first, and they're like, "What do you do?" And I'm like, "Oh, I shoutcast Overwatch games at the college level." And they're like, "Do you have anybody else?" And I'm like, "No." And they're like, "We'll find someone." And I'm like, "Okay." And then they found Matt. Yeah. So, and then now yeah, no, we have no, this, this lovely little show. Um. So is, is there such a thing as, as Pride Month or Pride in the UK? Because I, I know in the US, like June is our, our Pride Month. Yeah, so Pride Month is the same here. Uh, okay. We celebrate History Month in February. LGBT History Month in the UK is in February. Pride is in June because of the Stonewall riots. Mm -hmm. um, although that said, the Pride events usually take place across the summer. It's like London Pride is normally in mm -hmm. July. Brighton, Manchester tend to be more like August, end of August time. Mm. So it's and the Scottish ones are usually June. sort of May, May time. Probably because that's when we get better weather. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it makes sense to capitalize on that. Take it while you can. Okay. Um, so what is like? I mean, the, you, you probably see a lot of the weird stuff that happens in the U.S. all the time, and just like how a lot of the time. A lot of the U.S. is, is very backwards in, in acceptance of it. But what is what is how is LGBTQ plus acceptance like in the U.K.? Like what is what is the culture behind that? And um, like what are some of your um, your pride celebrations like in the places that you live in, like in London and in Scotland? Uh, I mean, I, I always grew up knowing that I was gay. I was under no illusions. Otherwise, like I knew that I liked boys. Like my, I remember wanting to ask a, this boy in my class to the school disco when I was six. 
And I was like, but I know that I'm not meant to. Um, I didn't quite know why I wasn't meant to. So I was vaguely aware of this. Um, and it was generally speaking, okay. I think people were maybe not necessarily as accepting, but there were LGBTQ figures like on TV. Like we had someone called Lily Savage who was a drag queen. And this is like back in the eighties, like on TV doing chat shows and stuff. So there were elements of queer culture out there on media. And there were people that you could engage with. So there were, you know, for folks like my mom and my grandparents, there were some visibly queer people that they could kind of engage with and be aware of. Um, but then kind of counter to that, I grew up under a law called Section 28, which meant that my teachers in my school could not talk about homosexuality at all um, for fear of promoting it, which is what the legislation aimed to do to prevent the promotion of homosexuality to young people, which made, you know, being a gay... <laughs> Like 13-year-old person in secondary school quite challenging because my teachers were legally forbidden from talking to me about it. And I mean, they did. Like, you know, plenty of teachers are, you know, centrists at worst and left at, you know, best. Um, and I think day-to-day, -day, generally speaking, the lives of queer people in the UK are positive. I don't think there are many instances where we've feel threatened or victimized or disenfranchised i know that it's maybe more challenging for my trans friends um but they are still able to access services for free via the nhs i know this the, the process is a bit more convoluted um but it it does feel like more and more there are fewer and fewer barriers um mm. for queer people in the uk and i feel like the pace of progress is is steady yeah, I would say like in general, people are pretty accepting overall. Like that, I've never really run into too many issues mm. in my life ever. Um, but I think both of us, we kind of grew up on the like sort of change of things. Like obviously there was people that were in the public eye, but like it started being talked about in schools. Like you say, that was kind of out the window by the time I was in secondary school mm. which isn't that much later than you were yeah so um there's, there's been a lot of positive changes in our lifetimes but mm. I feel like we started off in quite a good place anyway yeah which is nice but <laughs> I, I'm I sure agree. many people do have challenges and like you say there's still quite a few trans issues more than yeah. other issues but I think as a whole the UK is getting a lot more accepting and kind of on board with like being who you are and mm. it doesn't matter what your preferences or anything like that is. Yeah it's been interesting growing up through those changes as well because I remember being a young boy and being like okay well I know I can't get married like I knew that was never going to be an option mm. and I knew I'd never be allowed to have kids so I I, I knew um, not by limitations I knew that there were some things that weren't destined for me because of the way society was structured and the way that laws worked and I never really saw those as issues because I was quite young and I was like okay well I you know sure I'd love to have a husband and have kids at some point <laughs> much younger naive me like yeah I want a husband and a house and kids um now I just want Pokemon cards like I'm much more practical <laughs> in my dreams and ambitions um but I remember growing up being like okay like these things would be nice but I know they're they're not they're not like quote unquote meant for me um, and then having like civil partnerships come in as an option was like, ah, like this door is now open to me. And I, I grew up accepting that it never would be. That was just part of what it was to be a gay person. Um, and then laws around adoption became 
uh, a lot more easier and more manageable. And then, you know, you had gay marriage being introduced, you know, of all things by a conservative government. Like, it, it does feel like even, like, conservative governments that come through still achieve things for the community. And so I feel like even at its worst in terms of like left and right and politics and all of this, it's still quite the, the kind of the march continues onwards kind of thing, which is quite reassuring in a way, like no matter who kind of sits in number 10, it does feel like progress sort of continues progressively and sort of unabated. And I mean, like off the back of that, the leader of the Scottish Conservative Party is a married lesbian who has children. So like, yeah, they're not in power, but she is the leader of that party so i think even that at their sort of maybe worst our politics are still pretty open to yeah all of these sorts of things which in turn leads to much more acceptance within the sort of general community definitely yeah i think you think about the, the political parties here in the uk there are, there are none of them that are you know anti-abortion or anti-LGBT or you know, anti-women's rights like they all have different ideas of how to implement policy and, and how to achieve things and they all have obviously different goals but there isn't one that's sort of like you know repeal you know same-sex marriage or repeal gays in the army or you know anything like that like it's just like it's a non-issue okay so what how big are the the celebrations that happen for you with pride like I, I went to pride in West Hollywood couple years ago and it was fantastic this giant parade like all of the bars are open everyone's just kind of flowing in and out and just like hugging and high-fiving and it's just this great big musical party um i don't know about you kevin like you, i know san francisco has a very thriving gay community have you been to pride up there and i, I don't know what that's like but like what uh, are all three of you guys' experiences with it yeah the the only time that i remember going i like walked past um we have a what was it the Castro, the Castro mm -hmm. um, area. I remember I had to go see a film um, at the Castro Theater um, that day. For some reason, my my uh, my teacher was just like, "Yeah, let's watch a movie on the busiest weekend, like right now." And I was like, "Okay." So the streets were filled. It was really like it was really cool to see like everybody out there like enjoying themselves and having fun. Um, typical, you know city things though it's just like impossible to get there because of traffic so i left like an hour early and i was still like 20 minutes late it's just <laughs> but other than that it was just really cool like everybody everybody was out there there was like awesome food stalls um they had they had a really cool bakery next to it that i remember going into so yeah there's just specific like memories of that place that i have in london it's big like huge <laughs> um <laughs> i think the last time the last uh, like headline article i saw about it was something like up with, you know close to if not slightly more than a million people turning up and kind of lining the streets in terms of either in the parade or on the streets watching or you know in town for the event so it's really really big it you know it, it brings a lot of people together i've i've marched in the london parade a few times as a teacher uh, with my other, you know, LGBTQ plus uh, members of the education profession. And that's been great. As well as when I was at university, I marched with my student union, the LGBT group there. 
and so yeah in london it's it's really vibrant it's very dynamic um it winds all the way through like Regent street and oxford street like goes right through trafalgar square and everything like it's a beautiful route that it goes down so it is it's really really good fun and you get gloriously smashed um <laughs> which i'm all in favor of <laughs> responsibly but pretty good fun <laughs> a responsible buzz is always great yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think with London as well, like it just it kind of takes over for more than just the day of the parade. Like the entire city is sort of really involved in it for yeah. um, kind of the whole week running up and then the week after. Because I've never been there during like the actual parade or anything, but I did visit London kind of in the days after it. And everyone was still going about and having the best time. Yeah. All the like everywhere was open, handing out like badges and just free stuff all over the place and it, it was just really like interesting to be there kind of in the aftermath but still very much kind of like involved in it um, yeah it's really yeah, awesome really interesting yeah and the whole kind of month as well like all the museums will have like curated exhibits and what have yeah. you and there'll be talks and lectures and you know all the institutions of the city really get involved like it's not just you know the corporate face of changing your you know logo to a pride badge mm -hmm. you actually see a lot of engagement from you know all these really old institutions uh really getting involved as, as well which is really cool yeah so london goes like all in when it comes to it um things are a bit like on a smaller scale like where i'm from but that is mostly because the cities are so much smaller there's much less people but everybody still gets involved all the bars are open early the parade goes down the street and everybody's standing cheering or joining in and there's just always there's a lot going on and there's kind of something for everyone which is nice fun fact i think the the number one play uber to place in the world is a gay bar in west hollywood called the abbey and i've been there and it is fantastically <laughs> packed it nice. is it's it's a it's a crazy party so if you're ever in the la area the abbey is where it's at that's where to go <laughs> that's, that's the place we're heading to um so i know oak you talked about lore is something that you're, you're very much into hmm. um how did y'all feel when tracer and emily's relationship was revealed through the that comic i think that was a very sort of like kind of exciting and important moment because there, there'd been sort of talk about it but it was the kind of like first confirmation of anything like that and it was I don't know it was just a really kind of like nice thing that they included in that because they didn't really have to and here it was it was out and that was that was kind of it and now it's part of like the official lore so I, I thought it was really cool that they did it in the way they did yeah I liked the format i know there were some grievances that it was only touched upon in a comic and it wasn't touched upon in a game there is only so much storytelling you can do in a moba um as you're killing each other there are very few avenues to be like and this was the name of my great aunt you know as you you know yeah. smack someone into a wall with a hammer um and i like that we get this expanded universe via other media uh like the comics and so yes getting to be emily i thought was absolutely darling and lovely and wholesome and a move a definite play 
to have your headline hero, the, the poster woman, as it were, sort of of Overwatch, you know, being a lesbian and, and you know, having a girlfriend and, you know, <laughs> being in a, in, in a happy, successful queer relationship that, you know, wasn't plagued by sadness or heartbreak or mm-hmm. drug addiction or alcoholism or something. It was just like, no, they're just in love and they live in London. It's like, brilliant. Other than the fact that she's not really present in time a lot of I mean, no one's perfect. I mean, yeah, she she chronal skips now and again, but you know, ain't no one perfect. (laughs) And that kind of contrasts with how how soldiers, um, soldier being gay was introduced into the world because like his backstory is kind of more tragic than like he doesn't like Hmm. get to stay with with the man that he loved, and at least from what I saw, I I felt that the community was significantly more accepting of tracer and emily and then as soon as soldier was announced mm. a lot of people got really mad yeah. about that i i don't understand it's like, well, <laughs> you're okay with tracer being gay but soldier's not allowed to be happy like what what is what's up with that it's very I, interesting I no go on go, on, go? <laughs> no 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 you go uh, i was just gonna say i remember like when that story came out and there was so much kind of backlash of like well why did we need to know that and it was like well why do you need to know any of the things that are revealed in these short stories or comics? Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it just builds a bigger picture of this character. And yeah. like, that's just as important a fact about him as anything else. So it's like, yeah, we did need to know this. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I was, it links kind of something I was saying to my mum uh, a couple of weekends ago. I took my boyfriend up to my mum for the first time. Um, and we were in this, you know, little port town in the north of England. And I, generally speaking, was kind of feeling uncomfortable that they've holding my boyfriend's hand because I don't know the area, I don't know the people. Um, and my mum had caught on this and she'd questioned me about it. And she said, you know, but, you know, we've seen, you know, some some women, lesbians had kind of walked past and they were holding hands. And I was like, it's it's, it's kind of generally felt that, that straight men, men in general, uh, view lesbians more kindly than they do gay men you know, lesbians speak to some weird straight male idea of, you know, things that they're into. I don't want to go into that rabbit hole. But it's less threatening to women holding hands than it is to men holding hands. Uh, Women's sexuality is something they feel they have a vested interest in, even if they don't. Whereas the, the sexuality and the sexual interests of other men are things they shy away from and cower from. And so I think a lot of people, when Soldier 76 came out, Soldier 76 is such a male archetype. He is a soldier. He is this white, you know, conventionally handsome soldier who wields a gun. He's a barbecue dad. He is gruff. He is very masculine. And then many people felt, I think, you know, it doesn't make sense for whatever reason they thought it didn't make sense for him, of all people, to be gay. And then to question why. And a lot of the things that came out was, you know, in what way is this relevant to his character? Is it relevant to his story? And it's kind of like, it doesn't have to be. Like, a character can just be queer. Like, it doesn't have to be an integral part to their plot or the plot of the game or whatever. Like, it doesn't have to hinge on who you go to bed with. Um, And I think that reaction comes a lot from... it's, It's easier, I think, generally speaking, for lots of young men to be like oh you know she's a lesbian or whatever but then to be comfortable with a gay man is i think a slightly different topic especially when that gay man subverts their own expectations of what gay men are like 
which is mm. you know a stereotype and to have someone who is antithetical to that stereotype in a very traditional masculine setting and role and you know what have you i think is great because it subverts expectations it subverts those archetypes which i always love in storytelling um but you know i think yeah. I, I wish it'd been more warmly received yeah of course like well it's it's a great sort of plot point and um character development it's just kind of like sad to see how unaccepting people were of that part of the story but they were completely fine with or mostly completely fine i did see quite a bit of backlash to tracer as well but mm. not nearly as much as it did with soldier yeah and i think a lot of it's just people feeling like weirdly threatened that the male character that they play is not who they thought <laughs> mm. uh, somehow which, it's unnecessary which i find such an odd concept yeah <laughs> that you know roughly speaking one in ten people are in some way lgbtq plus in a game of 32 heroes like you're surprised that there's at least two like we're technically under the average there man. should be more <laughs> yeah like someone else in the closet in that hero select screen we just don't know <laughs> at least one more at least looking one at, more looking at you bastion you <laughs> oh yeah oh, i would love that oh my god so much <laughs> i could see it i could i could see that i chip that <laughs> i don't want to know with what <laughs> bastion and torbjorn all the way he leaves his wife yeah it's a big story gives him a hat that's uh gives know. him a hat that's it that's it <laughs> This little hat, little hat for Ganymede. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um, was was there a moment or anything like specific that inspired you to to want to create Watchpoint Cried and wanted wanted to create this community for LGBTQ content creators? I will let Oak take this story because he loves telling it, and also it's quite a good story. <laughs> Oak thrown under the bus. Oh my, oh my god! god how the turns table. I know. <laughs> The apprentice becomes the master. Um, <laughs> Learn from the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Okay, so Watchpoint Pride. I I, genuinely speaking, I it was early on a Sunday morning. I was in bed. I was having some kind of weird fever dream. I don't, I don't know what it was about. I was like, I just woke up, and the very little first thought that was in the forefront of my mind was, why isn't there an LGBTQ plus content creators network in Overwatch? I don't know what dream had precipitated this burst of consciousness, but uh, I shot Nika a WhatsApp or a message on Discord straight away, and I was like, do you think there should be? Would you like to help me set one up? Um, I think Nika was kind of dazed and confused, just like, whatever. It, it, was, a, it was like 8 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. I, I was, was ungodly. Asleep, conscious enough to read the message and go, yeah, that sounds good, <laughs> and then go sounds straight back cool. to sleep again. Yeah, And I think where it comes from is from two places. I think it comes from a sense of community. And I think it comes from a sense of kind of creative professionalism. Um, from the sense of community, you know, like one of the most common things I've heard people uh, comment on with Watchpoint Pride is what's the point? Why does it need to exist? Why do we need an LGBTQ plus content creators network? Shouldn't you be a everyone content creators network? And sure, those networks exist. Um, people have this very warped idea that in the future, everyone's equal by everyone being the same. And everyone is 
is indistinct and is this homogenous blob of acceptance and sameness. And I don't, I don't want to live in that world. That sounds horrible, slightly Orwellian. Mm. Um, living in the 21st century is about finding your tribe and we are a very tribal species. It's in our very nature. Um, and it's okay to be tribal. It's okay to find your tribe. It's okay to to be within your community, to be embedded within your community, whatever community that may be. As long as you're accepting of all the other communities and you're kind to them and you take time to understand them and you don't hold them, hold your standards as a, as a candle to what they should be like. And so when people say, you know, why LGBTQ plus? Because like, well, it's, it's the most human thing to do. Of course, we as queer people are going to seek out other queer people you know, we're social creatures and these social situations are formed by shared experiences and things that we have in common, whether it's your language or your faith or the games that you play, if you're a goddamn gay mercy main, like you find like-minded people and come together. That's just part of human nature. You do the exact same thing every single day with the friends that you choose to hang out with. It's no different. Um, and whether you go to church or synagogue or Buddhist temple, or, you know, you're a humanist, you don't believe in any of it, you still find out like-minded people even if it's trash talking people online, you find like-minded trolls and you hang out in their cave. Um, and so wanting to bring all these queer people together who are creative, but to also give them an avenue to grow. I think it's very easy for me just to put out Overwatch Law videos, but I've got no one critiquing them, you know, unless people, you know, downvote the shit out of that, in which case that's a hell of a critique. But generally speaking, there's no, there's no, you know, no constructive. Sorry. Yeah, there's no editor going to me. Actually, you know, I think this transition might be more effective when we try and communicate. Like, no one's telling me that story. And so, getting together with other creative people is a really nice way to grow professionally and to get critique and to to put your work out there with as little ego as possible and be like, rip this to shreds and let me know what we can do better next time so I can grow more as a content creator. And these two things together is is what brings together Watchpoint Pride, community and and you know creative professionalism and growth there's networks for other content creators in overwatch but there's always i think as a member of the lgbtq plus community that you won't feel accepted or people will judge you based on that compared to based on your work and that's one of the sort of goals is to make it about not so much who you are but how we can help you be the best that you are Thank you to at Moira's T for that question. So yeah, what is it like to be starting up your own community? And as well as, you know, getting it started, um, how is it like to watch it grow and flourish? Um, I guess, Oak especially, huh? you had the experience doing that with Hangar 9. And yeah. I guess I joined Hangar 9 fairly early on in its thing. So we've kind of had this sort of, how do we sort of grow this? and watching the community grow before but in a completely different way because we were sort of starting from nothing like when it's a fan club of a team you've got that team's following behind you mm -hmm. but when you're starting fresh you've got to kind of like find those people that are interested themselves and we were very lucky sort of early on to get support from a lot of kind of prominent figures in the community like Violet and Crook and um, Leg Day as well was quite on board with us and then of course we had the feature in the the league sort of broadcast spot and it just shot up from there and it, it was quite amazing we were sitting like watching the 
like follow counts and the Twitter engagement go up and we were just like remember when we had 10 followers and now there's this many people that are wanting to be involved in this and it's kind of it's crazy sort of like how on board people have been and how supportive people have been with it as well yeah it's it's been amazing and it's been such a great way to sort of get to know more of the community in a way like in my day-to-day -day life there are only so many queer people that i'm ever going to meet and only so many experiences and stories that i'm ever going to hear or learn about and one of the great things is through Watchpoint Pride is you're, you're meeting lots of kind of different people and you're learning about their struggles and things that they find difficult, especially around sort of gender non-conforming, genderqueer, trans people, issues that I don't face as a gay white man. And being able to hear their stories and the struggles that they face makes me a much more empathetic and supportive person, I think, at Watchpoint Pride, it helps to give us direction and to 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 work out what we can do more as a community. And I mm -hmm. think giving everyone that forum and space to have a voice is really, really important in Watchpoint Pride. It's really cool to obviously start something that every that you're passionate about, and then just have people hop in and obviously watch it grow. It's 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 a great thing. Um, so this is more of just a numbers question, but how many members do you have in Watchpoint Pride uh, now? I want to say 42 I think there's, content creators. I think there's 42 as of this exact moment, but we do have applications open. So we're about to be bringing on um, 25 more people, I think, yeah. just to yeah. sort of help integrate them into the community. and we're really looking forward to seeing who else wants to be part of this. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to see, um, I mean, obviously not only more streamers, we get, you know, lots of streamers apply it. I think it's one of the, the more accessible means of content creation. Um, especially for gamers, I think it's, it's such an integral part of gaming is playing the game and putting it out there and gaming the <laughs> audience. But I'm also really excited to see the other kind of applications that we get from like, you know, artists for example people who write um maybe even some haikuists i'd love to find someone who does poetry for overwatch that's my dream um so i'm not alone um <laughs> there have been a few applications that have mentioned writing but i've not checked to see if they're, they're if they're poets or if they're otherwise <laughs> I'm, I'm, in, I'm intrigued and excited <laughs> you know it's going to be tough because we've already got more applications and we have got spaces available um but I think we've committed to this, this system of sort of opening up applications on a quarterly basis. Every season, applications will reopen. We'll try and bring more people in and giving the people we have brought in time to kind of settle in, find their feet, start curating content uh, for us and for themselves and take it from there. Getting into like the main broadcast aspect of this, um, how did you guys get that main melee uh, community spotlight? Was did somebody from the Overwatch League reach out to you, um, or did they happen to just stumble upon your content and are mm. like, we'll, "We'll give you that spotlight. You, you deserve this." It's a it's a very good question. I've I've always maintained in a slightly Machiavellian way that it's very seldom what you know so much it is who you know. Mm -hmm. Um. And through being GM of Hag and I and, and, and Nika being my deputy general manager, we were very fortunate to be in a position where uh, members of the Overwatch League had invited us to be part of a, 
like an Overwatch community roundtable based around the Overwatch League, which kind of features representatives from the other fan associations um, and some folks from the orgs for the various teams as well. And uh, it was through this kind of bi-weekly forum that takes place with the league representatives that I'd kind of spoken up. And they'd actually, they'd asked us about the things that they wanted to achieve as a group was things like community engagement and, you know, marking these special moments. And Pride came up as one of the ones they wanted to do. And I, I think quite faith, quite infamously challenged them on what it is they hoped to achieve by, by taking part in Pride. I think I've shocked a great many people with my... The, the jaws dropped. <laughs> and I was just sitting there like, here he goes. <laughs> my forthrightness. And the question was, it's like, you know, what can we do for... In, and forgive me, but in like a very American enthusiastic kind of way, like, hey, you know, what can we all do for Pride, y'all? Um, and I was like, well, I'm I, I allowed to swear on this podcast. Like, I don't yeah, know if anyone's sensibility. Go for it. Go for it. Go I basically for it. said, like, I think the problem is that what you're about to say is okay in the UK and not in America. I don't, for anyone listening, I do apologize. If you're of a sensitive and sensible disposition, please do consider not taking offense to this. But the question being raised is, is what they could do for Pride, and and I kind of said, well, you know, what do you what do you want to achieve? Like, I don't expect you to to end homophobia. I don't expect you to go and support LGBT charities. You know, whatever you do is not going to stop me getting called a faggot in my games. And I think it was at that point everyone was sort of stunned. <laughs> I'd, I'd gone, and then I really had my battle axe to grind, and I was like, look. I, I expect nothing from you. You're you're a corporation focused on gaming and esports. Like I, I'm not expecting you to make my life easier. That's not your job. You're not a government agency. You're not a civil rights movement. You're a company. Um, get your shit together. Like you don't have to change the world. It's okay just to do games. Um, I think this kind of made them pause and make them think. And then I came back to the next meeting and I was like, guys, there's now an LGBTQ plus content creators network. <laughs> Uh, and this had intrigued them, uh, especially on the back of my uh, tirade against <laughs> meddling in to some extent of how I viewed it. Um, and I think from that, they were they were interested in exploring what Watchpoint Pride was about and what it was trying to achieve. And I think they wanted to tell that story, um, which I think is the right way for them to support the community is to share our story. Um, you know, I have I have views about corporations changing their logo to bright colours. And I think if you're going to do it, then you need to give money. You need to be donating to LGBTQ plus causes. And I don't support the idea of selling merch that's pride themed unless that money is also going to LGBTQ plus causes. The pink dollar and the pink pound is an incredibly powerful currency. Um and you know i love rainbow cutting shit as much as the next homo but you know where does that line come into it and so i was pleased that at least one step in them wishing to observe pride to make note of it was actually to highlight the work of queer people in an organization that is run by queer people that is made up of queer people than to share our stories as opposed to some other kind of narrative that might have come from the top down. I'm very glad that this came from the bottom up. Yeah. And I'm that... sorry for using the F word. No, no, no. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Had to had to get the point across and you know, sometimes 
just got to say what you got to say. Um, so I guess this is more for, you know, you guys do hold a really high leadership position. So um, what have you learned from leading Watchpoint Pride? Um, has there been any big lessons that you've taken away? Nika? <laughs> <laughs> um, that is an I've learned to do question. that. I've learned yeah. to, to push people under buses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm trying to learn how to answer questions quicker for when I do get pushed into them. <laughs> but I I think we've kind of like learned that um, no matter what you try to do to kind of like bring these issues forward, people will be supportive. Like we kind of went into this, like maybe no one will care. Maybe mm. it will just be us. And I, I think that's kind of like an important thing that to sort of have faith that other people will support things like this and you're not alone in it. And I think that can be applied to kind of everything, not just within Watchpoint Pride, but within the entire Pride community in general, like you are not alone. Hmm. Yeah, I think my experiences will mean definitely of that. And also of like, Leading Watchpoint Pride is, is very different to leading other projects, like Hangar 9, for example. Um, because, you know, you can be fan of a team one day, not the next. Like, you know, people's identity isn't imbued in their Overwatch League team. Um, you know, otherwise Spitfire would have no fans at this point. So thank God. Um, but you're dealing with something that is integral to a human being's identity, something that is very precious and unique and is no less a golden treasure than someone's faith, for example, or their language or their heritage or their culture, or, you know, any other thousands of things that make people amazing and fascinating. And I think it's imbued me with a greater sense of patience to not necessarily charge through with what I think is the right path. It's giving more of a perspective to pause on my war path um, and to just take a moment and sort of listen and to get more views on things. And that's something I've really appreciated because it's helped me to shift my perspectives on things within the community. Um, I think quite infamously with in and amongst my friends, my views are strong and I defend my views vehemently. Um, and, you know, I, I've managed my projects with an iron fist. I like to achieve results. And, you know, sometimes I am slightly Machiavellian. I am a Slytherin. Sometimes for me, the ends do justify the means if I need to get a project completed and something needs to be done. I mean, a queer person, that's actually quite a handy trait. Sometimes you do just need to fight. Um, but actually having a community where I don't have to be someone who will cut a bitch, which I still will, but I have people who come to me for advice on things and who want more of me than just direction as to what to do. That I appreciate because you can never have too many people in your chorus in your life chiming in and, and contributing to, to who you are and what you think. 
And so I'm grateful for that aspect with Watchpoint Pride. That's what I've kind of really learned from, from managing this project is how glorious everyone else is. That was really deep. I take that back. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah take I'm it back. I went first. <laughs> yeah, I, I take it back. I will cut a bitch. <laughs> Sometimes bitches need to be cut. Sometimes they do. <laughs> I will make sure to wear my social distance hula hoop then. Um, <laughs> very, very effective, but very ineffective in grocery stores. Um, so... The, I guess this is this is a two-part question. So what has been the hardest part of running Watchpoint Pride? And then on the flip side, what is the most rewarding? Ooh. Hardest part. I think one of the hardest parts of running Watchpoint Pride has been uh, a bit twofold. It's, it's seeing the reactions from people with regards to like the league highlight, the one in May, and then the one at the beginning of Pride Month. You know, uh, if, if if your face is up there on the screen and people are talking shit, you can't help but take it personally in some measure. Um, that's been challenging as well, especially as director, because it very firmly rests on Nika's and I's shoulder. We have a we have an amazing leadership team who support us with you know setting the course of Watchpoint Pride. But ultimately, at the end of the day, this this weight falls squarely on our shoulders before it hits anybody else. And that, you know, it was Nika and I in that video and seeing some of the actions was challenging and managing comments online was tough because I think my initial response was was to cut the pictures. <laughs> but I've also always championed conversation and discourse. Like I've never believed in shutting down conversation at all. Um, if someone doesn't agree with you, it's an opportunity for discourse. It's an opportunity to learn. And so just about every single goddamn reply on Twitter that went through that was negative, I tried to engage in meaningful conversation. I would say 80, 90% of them, it, 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 there was an understanding by the end of it. Um, but that takes time and it's exhausting. And Sounds very you know, exhausting. It is, I mean, fucking hell, it is exhausting. <laughs> and not everyone should have to do that. I'm grateful that I am able to do this and this is part of who I am and my approach to it so that other people in Watchpoint Pride don't have to take on the burden of trying to have those conversations to try and meet people who are quite hateful in the middle um it's something i believe to be wholly worthwhile but it's it's tiring for the soul it can really bring you down if you're not made of very resilient stuff and not everyone should have to be made of very resilient stuff um so that's been tough but on the flip, the amazing thing was equally seeing that go up on the Overwatch League. Like, that was an incredible moment. Like, mm. we were two months old, like, when that went up. Like, we'd only just got everything kind of, you know, the painting just dried on the walls, as it were. And that was an amazing experience. Sort of for every, like, negative reaction, there was at least 10 positive ones from yeah. just people who were sort of like... Um, I'm new to this community and I'm really happy to see this or thank you for like being the representation like so he commented on it and everything as well and I think just seeing um people that are as much in the spotlight as she is having a positive reaction to it really kind of gave the whole community a bit of a boost is we were getting messages for days from the the people that are sort of in within Watchpoint Pride saying like this is so cool. Like, I can't believe that 
we've managed to do this already and that people want to talk to us and they're engaging with my content and it that is definitely been one of the highlights um for me and it, it's just been really nice like in a way you kind of forget to get excited about it yourself because you're so yeah. busy like focusing on everyone else being really happy about it and you're like I should be happy about this too. This yeah. this is something to celebrate. It's really funny because like, when it dropped on the live stream, like I had the live stream up when I was with my boyfriend, but I was in the middle of like organizing some godforsaken Google Drive, like preparing something and making something was ready. And I was like, oh yeah, like yeah, cool. Gaze on Overwatch. Yeah. I, was like, and I was like, my boyfriend was like, no, no, like it's you and Nico. And I was like, yeah, I know, but I'm busy. <laughs> We've seen it already. We've it's seen it already. Matter. Like, come on, like gotta gotta do another uh, Google Drive, man. Um, it, it came out for us at like three in the morning and I Ungodly. tried to stay up and I, I eventually got to the point where I was like, I, I can't do it anymore. I've got work tomorrow. I've got to go to sleep. And then five minutes later, I got the message. It's been on. You've missed it. And I was like, really? <laughs> like I waited up this late to miss it by five minutes. Yeah. But I saw it in the morning on the replay. It was fine. <laughs> and this happened like when you were only two months created. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that was maybe like one of the hard points other than sort of like any of the negativity is how big things got as quick as they did. Yeah. Because <laughs> we, we kind of went into this with sort of a rough idea of what we wanted to do. We had mm -hmm. all these like kind of thought out plans, but not put into place plans. And we were kind of just getting ready to build up to that. And yeah. this happened and there was suddenly a lot more eyes on everything we were doing and we kind of went now we really need to actually sit down and plan this out <laughs> we need properly. to really get on top of this yeah so, it was incredible like yeah considering like, like so the discord server and everything was just up and people were just still getting to know each other mm. and and then this comes our way and you know a golden opportunity and you know mm. you do have to seize the moment you know opportunities yeah. don't get handed out every time and if you don't take it then someone else will yeah and if we hadn't taken it when we did then who knows if we would have got it later on in the year i doubt it <laughs> exactly league Grab works it. to a tight tight schedule so yeah. i i think well it was kind of like a little bit stressful and there there's a lot that <laughs> needs to be done in the wake of it i think it, it's been such a, a good sort of opportunity and yeah I'm, I'm really glad that it's something that we were able to do <laughs> Damn. Despite the, the many cans of Coca-Cola I had to drink to get that taken. <laughs> Wait, how many did you have to drink for that? Like, um, it opens up with you drinking that can of Coke. Yeah, I, so I ended up with a two or three cans open at the end of it. Because um, they were like, no, we need we need you to open it again. I was like, I'm going to run out of Coke. I didn't, like, I didn't buy enough to plan for this. And then, because I'd opened them, I was like, well, we should drink them. <laughs> Don't want to waste them. So... Yeah, what came out of that that recording session absolutely wired on on so licking your coke. eyelids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was fine. My teeth were rattling, but you know what? <laughs> we got the shot. <laughs> we did. We got that. Um, so these next two questions are from people who sent stuff in on Twitter. So this one's from McSherry underscore Matt. Um, what does Watchpoint Pride think Blizzard does well about LGBTQ plus matters, and where do you think they can improve? Sorry, that's a rough that's a, question after today. That is a very rough question <laughs> so, after um, today. Jesus Christ. So we had kind of been promised that there would be things happening for Pride and we, we didn't want to get too invested in hyping this up because we didn't know what it was going to be. 
and then so today with the um patch update that came out came overwatch's pride efforts which happened to be one rainbow icon mm -hmm. that's not even called pride mm -hmm. and it's called rainbow it's oh, called rainbow, rainbow. <laughs> and they're they're We've spent most of the evening dealing with people who are quite upset and disappointed that this is what yeah. has been offered, especially in the wake of, um, I think it was Valorant released a whole mm -hmm. pack of yeah. things. I, I don't play Valorant. I don't know what they were for, but there were there was things. And pretty I, much I think like every MOBA out there has done something with you know player icons or sprays and mm. stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, I think the kind of general sentiment is any progress is good progress, but we kind of expected a little bit more. Yeah, this was the bare minimum. It's it's appeasement, I think, mm -hmm. more than anything. Um, I mean, what Blizzard does well, like, you know, I'm not going to unduly destroy the organisation. Um, Activision, maybe, but not Blizzard. Um, you know, I know that they organize their, their stuff, LGBT stuff, amazingly, and there's a lot of support there, and that I'm grateful for because that's the kind of we're all here, like, enjoying the content that they create and all the amazing things that they do. And I'm appreciative that, you know, my LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters and, you know, non gendered members of my family have that support mechanism, you know, in the company. That's really, really cool. And you do get glimpses of things coming out through their games, you know, you know, some subtle character is announced as being gay in World of Warcraft, and you know, there was a knight warrior of a loon who was a man and had a husband, and you know, it's like cool, but nothing groundbreaking. There's nothing monumental, um, and you know, kind of like it for me personally. As in the same way that I lambasted that poor person at Overwatch League who queried what they should do for Pride, you know, you don't... How to word this? Me, Oak, as a gay man, do not find validation through what companies do for me. I am in no way more seen or supported or visible or less likely to be, you know, called a faggot while I'm playing games because you change your flag to a pride theme or you put some LGBTQ plus sprays into the game. Like, it doesn't mean shit um, to me. I will happily change my icon to that pride flag. In fact, I already have. <laughs> but my identity is not imbued within what these companies are doing. My identity is imbued within my community and the people I share my life and my experiences with. And, you know, sure, it looks cool, but if they had done nothing, I would have shed no tears over it. It wouldn't have affected me at all. Um, but my views, I know, are, are not shared by many within the community. Mm. That's how, how I personally feel about it. I think there's more that can be done. I think what I want to see more of is actually it coming from the game perspective. I want to see the stories of these LGBTQ characters fleshed out more. That means more to me than some kind of player appeasement. I would rather queer stories are told through games and games design give us some more information about tracer how tracer met emily give us some context of of you know jack morrison and vincent you know 
we have a spray of them together as young men in the army, but story, like, give us more. Like, flesh out those stories and those narratives. And if you want to throw in a few player icons for trans and non-binary and gay, lesbian and everything, by all means, like, that's the sprinkling on top. But for me, the substance is going to have to come from the actual game and the content that comes out, not just what is tantamount to appeasement and poorly executed appeasement at that. Mm-hmm. If they're going to make the, the, the effort to put in the rainbow flag, why not use the sort of rainbow flag that is being used now with the um, the colours for trans and all of that sort of things in it as well, as instead of just the, the standard rainbow flag, or why not include some of the other flags like there's not that many of them that it would be an issue to just kind of put all of them in so and i think as well as as directors of watchpoint pride even though mine and nika's sentiments are that you know we don't feel maybe that we personally need these things they don't validate us they don't make our lives any you know less difficult or challenging they don't make me feel more seen it doesn't mean that we won't fight for those things to be there because they mean mm-hmm. something to a great many members of our family and you know, God, to quote Cicero, you know, we're not born and we don't live and we don't die for ourselves alone. Um, and that's very important, I think, that even though, you know, personally for me, it means nothing. Um, but you know, I'll cut some pictures to get some to get some <laughs> trans flags up. I'll do it. Yeah. We'll try our hardest to get the representation that the community deserves and I think sort of the kind of response to that has been yes this is what we need is someone to fight for this yeah and be seen (laughs) and it's tricky as well because like I get I can understand the the devil in the detail and and dealing with corporations and capitalism Mm -hmm. and all this rubbishness we and we have a vague understanding of why it's called rainbow and why it's not called pride we know that these social issues that are pertinent to our societies and our countries are not inherently shared by all societies the lives of lgbtq plus people in those societies is very different to ours and is different and in some cases sadder and more challenging um I don't know what scope a company has on trying to force a Western viewpoint or social issues and topics onto other countries. It's a very deep and nuanced topic of conversation. But we can see the lines of corporate America behind the decision to name it what it is, or maybe not to include certain flags um, behind the decision. And though I can understand it, it, perhaps doesn't make it any less spineless. Mm. Call a spade a spade. <laughs> Got a bitch that needs cutting. I'll get ya. <laughs> <laughs> run. <laughs> you <can> run. <laughs> <laughs> that actually took care of the, the next question that was asked by Rusty Rusk. Um, it was at, at Rusty Rusk. Are y'all happy with the rainbow player icon being the only pride content we get in Overwatch? And I mean, you, asked, you answered that question, but... <laughs> I'm I mean, gonna go with no to summarize yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, so other people, other people do share that sentiment. Definitely that you that you're exper- yeah. expressing that it's like mm-hmm. it's good, but it's not enough. Yeah. Do you yeah. think it could better be flushed out through the comics, or would you rather have it be 
like you know overwatch 2 is leaning more towards like a pve mission would you want to have another archives event where you kind of go back and see um these characters either in action or um through something else like either you know you could you can make it even very trivial if you want to go back mm -hmm. to that um what was it the one event i think there was a comic with winston and tracer where they're like it's a christmas event one yeah um where they're just trying to like get to the get to the party yeah like you could even mm -hmm. make that like its own <laughs> pv i would love to play that it's just, <laughs> I, I would go to that comic or that archive mission yeah you have to do a kind of like a capture the flag kind of deal thing where you have to bring like a roasted turkey to dinner <laughs> and if it hits the floor it's, it's all over it's capture the flag, but it's at a pride parade and it's set on the set on the streets of San Francisco. <laughs> there you go. I would absolutely play that version. I'd, I'd play that mode. I, yeah. I think I I would really like to see kind of more sort of lore in Overwatch too. I know they've kind of talked about how that's going to be what it is, um, and if the archives missions are sort of anything to go by, then they can have that but sort of bigger then i think that would be a, a really good spot for the lord to be in because obviously with all of it sort of outside the game content it's fine it's there but people will still miss it if they're not looking for it um like i, I know there's been a few um of the short stories that i've just not actually got around to reading but if they had been in the archives events i would have played them so i would have known what was going on and i feel like i'm probably not the only one i would love to sort of play a mission that involved soldier and vincent and even if he wasn't a playable character in any way but was part of the animatic or the general plot for it then that would be great i'm not really sure how they would like maybe work a story in for Tracer and Emily because it seems a lot less kind of out of the Overwatch part of Overwatch, but mm. I, I'm sure they could manage. Well, there's a will, there's a go. Exactly. It's our, <laughs> our motto here. That's, that's my that's my literal motto. <laughs> these these skins and these sprays and these player icons, yeah, you know, they're cool. Um, but I've always felt, felt that the way we as, as queer people are seen and accepted is through our stories and shared understanding. Yeah, you know, that's how not, that's how any any group doesn't become accepted. That's not the way I want to phrase it. It's the way that any group becomes understood and meshes with other members of society. Mm. And I think part of that is sharing stories. Stories are the one of the most human things, whether it's oral tradition of sharing stories between tribes and around campfires or sharing books or movies it's all storytelling and we love a good story and you know our lives are all rich tapestries of stories and i think these heroes in overwatch are one way for that experience to be communicated and to be shared with other people that is much more useful and long-lasting an impact for us as queer people than it is for me personally as Oak to be able to just slap up a, a player icon and be like, oh, you know, I'm gay. That doesn't affect anyone. It lets me be proud and loud. And, you know, I'm here, I'm queer. But it doesn't bridge build. And I like the idea that storytelling builds bridges. 
because mm -hmm. we need more shared understanding in this planet. People have got to start talking to each other and listening. And we do that through stories, I think. So have you seen attitudes towards the LGBTQ plus community um, in gaming shift over the years? And like, especially from like the beginning of Overwatch to where we are now, have you seen a shift in terms of attitude or is it still kind of the same thing and it's just, you know, suppressed, you think? I'm going to let Oak answer this one because I was a console player for a very long time, so I didn't didn't speak to other people while I was playing. <laughs> um, so the, the first few years, of, <laughs> I mean, so I, I do mostly play on console, to be fair, still, but um, the, the majority of my experience is no microphone, no chat, and people don't know anything about me while I'm playing, yeah. so I've not really experienced anything. I did used to play a lot of Call of Duty when I was younger, so obviously I heard people talking to each other in chat then and calling each other every name under the sun. And mm. in my Overwatch experience, it's never been quite on that level, but I don't know if that is entirely true or not. Yeah. Um, and as well, I think, Nika, like on the back of that, the experience as you as a queer woman in gaming is, very is a very different set of experiences as well the way that women are treated in gaming spheres mm. and spoken to online in gaming is atrocious and is certainly worthy of a whole other episode of any <laughs> podcast yeah um international women's month episode let's go go for it um it shifts like i genuinely don't believe the people in game saying you know or oh, that's gay or this is gay or you know you're a faggot or all of this stuff i don't genuinely believe the vast majority of them are truly homophobic in that i don't think they hate gay people or queer people uh gay is a very easy word to throw out there queer is a very easy word to throw out there faggot is a really easy word to throw out there it's conveying frustration it's conveying anger and it's conveying scorn and, and and all other manner of emotions do i believe if i was sat down with these people face to face that they would have personal issue with me being homosexual they might on some level do i think social convention and, and you know human social norms would put them in a position where they would you know rile against me more unlikely um it doesn't stop the language being hurtful or being unkind. Um, and, you know, how do you communicate to that to people who inherently are unwilling to listen? You know, it's it's all well and good to me saying, you know, hey guys, you know, I find this language, you know, inappropriate or, you know, hurtful or unkind. These, these words and these sentiments are unlikely to change people's points of view. Um, I find it shifts slightly by region. Sometimes I play on NA servers and uh, I find the general chat there to be, uh, generally speaking, I've experienced more homophobia on NA servers and more racism on NA servers than I have on European servers. The biggest barrier to European servers is, is speaking the same language to, to start. Nearly That's... everyone in voice chat is French anyway. Nearly, so... It's French or German really? or Dutch. Like, yeah, yeah, it's really tough to get a group of six people who speak the same language on EU servers. Um, business, look at that. They need to introduce some kind of system where you can take the languages that you can speak and it tries to put you together. That'd be really handy. Um, but also, like... It, it, it breaks down 
by geographic regions as well. The homophobia I experience on European servers traditionally comes from young gamers who are of like Middle Eastern background, who have a different set of cultural norms and values and societal expectations and religious beliefs that are all as valid as my sexuality are. They are all integral parts of who they are as young people. You know, do I wish that they would be kinder and would moderate their language and think about what they say? Of course. Um, but change is, is slow and I have very few tools at my disposal to affect change there. I can be a positive queer role model when they're in those games with me. I can be openly gay and, and kind and helpful and, and not bite back when they poke and prod and, you know, are unkind. And maybe slowly they'll get a different perspective. I don't know. It's hard to go against the grain of someone's culture and religion. Um, so I think on the whole, the reporting system that Blizzard has in place works if people are reporting. There's no automatic detection of these things. And I think that in itself is a bit of a problem. It depends on people reporting. And I think that's always the issue with like LGBTQ plus hate crime statistics. It relies on LGBTQ people actually reporting the crimes in the first place. And so I think, you know, people are always less inclined to do that sometimes, especially if you face it daily. If you go into loads of games, you've got constant abuse. I'm I start the day doing my filling out my reports for Blizzard and by the end of the day like I just you know it's tiring um I do think generally speaking it gets better uh slowly over time I think the the traditional gaming element of young men young white men um is diminishing over time I like that gamers are more diversified now and more of these diverse groups have found their voices and do speak up and do make a point um and i'm always grateful for when someone in a game takes a stand against a teammate who is being unkind or homophobic or unfair i think that's important i think people need to start looking out for each other and looking after each other more i think it needs to come from everyone being involved not allowing these things to happen not just depending on some sort of overwatch moderator to swoop in on a ticket and you know time somebody out for 15 minutes all right, and yeah, we'll we'll close out with this uh, this final question here. So, um, thank you guys for you know sitting down and talking to us about this. Um, so, what are you currently working on now, and how can people get involved in Watchpoint Pride? I guess the, one of the big things we're working on is that we're going to be releasing um, a public Discord server for LGBTQ plus fans of Overwatch, which is very exciting. So, at the moment, Watchpoint Pride is just about content creators and pushing us that way. But one thing that's come out of this is that we want other LGBTQ plus Overwatch fans in general to also have a home. And so Watchpoint Pride is taking point on, you know, putting together a server that we'll be releasing, uh, I want to say, on Friday the 18th, I think is the yes. plan for it to so go live. A week on Friday. So we're excited about that. So keep an eye out on social media for that mm. as well. And we're also working on tweaking what we call our category system, which is kind of inspired by, I don't know if you've seen Pose. It's inspired by the ballroom culture of sort of New York where uh, trans and queer people would walk in different categories to kind of perform and compete. Um, and we're doing a few tweaks to a category system where Watchpoint Pride members will walk different categories uh, linked to various things in Overwatch. So. With, they'll be monthly and within a given month maybe three or four categories and the categories might be 
you know, Widowmaker, Numbani, and London. And you, you know, the challenge is to create content inspired by these categories. So you might do, you know, a, a podcast all about Widowmaker. I may do a law video about Widowmaker, or you may look at the art style of the architecture in Numbani and explore Afrofuturism, for example, um, to try and really inspire our content creators and to challenge them to, to push and to grow. And I would say that was looking back to the question about what, what has been difficult. This category system has been difficult because we kind of had an idea of what we wanted to do and then it just didn't really work. <laughs> so we've we've spent the last little while trying to refine it and this is what we've come up with to try and sort of make it more accessible for all sorts of different types of content creation because we hadn't maybe not hadn't considered the ones that we don't do ourselves but it was difficult to kind of tailor things to things that we didn't have experience in and now that we've got the community there and the leadership team in place and everyone's so wildly different in what they make it's kind of a lot easier to say well maybe doing it this way will work better and I I'm hoping that with the changes it'll be a very sort of integral part of how Watchpoint Pride works and a really good way to kind of showcase everybody's work. Yeah. Um, I believe that was our, our final question that we had for today. What time is it in the UK right now? It's, it's 10 to midnight. Yeah, oh, 10 minutes to wow. midnight. You got you <laughs> up very late. Thank you for, for sacrificing the game sleep. Is, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sacrificing sleep and relaxing after a long day of, I'm sure, mm. of, of work and stuff for to talk to us. Um, this has been really fun. I, I've personally learned a lot and gained a lot of insight from this. I hope our listeners will have gained a lot of, <laughs> of insight and, and knowledge from this. Um, but I'm, I'm eager to see where you guys grow Watchpoint Pride from here and, and all the good work that y'all do. Yeah, thank you so much for having us on. And like, please keep in touch because this was fun. <laughs> yeah, this was sure. really fun. Thank you yeah, for having us. It's been wonderful. And. Uh, to do a follow-up year in a year and see how how you've grown after a year for, for next <laughs> yeah. Friday. World conquest. <laughs> world con I, I I for one accept your world conquest. So let's do it. Glorious. <laughs> I look forward to that conversation. <laughs> well, thanks everybody for listening in as well, and uh, we Next week, we crown the winner of the June Joust and bring you more gaming and Overwatch news. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you like what you hear, please like, rate, and subscribe to us on all your favorite podcast platforms and follow us on all social media at Believe in OWL. Questions or comments? Please send us an email at believeinowl at gmail.com. If you'd like to advertise with our show, please contact our network at Believe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.